Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others in the way that Jesus loves us and raise people up in his love. We are grateful to have you listen in. So regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. Continuing through our sermon series on Acts. Uh, last week we talked about Acts chapter 12. Uh, we talked about how Peter was broken out from jail and Herod dropped dead to the ground and what that meant about the reality of the gospel and the reality of the grace of God. And that's what we started talking about today. We're going to continue through our sermon series, and today we'll be talking from Acts 13. Today's passage is a bit shorter. We're splitting up Acts 13 into two different parts. So Acts 13 verses 1 through 12. Acts 13 verses 1 through 12. I'm reading from the ESV. Some of y'all might be reading from the NIV. I actually encourage y'all to read from the NIV. Um, yeah, let's just read together. This is the word of God. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. And you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in praying? Abba, we gather before you this morning in all goodness, in all of what you've provided for us. We gather simply to 
worship, simply to hear your word. Abba, you have a word coming for us today. So I pray, Father, that you would ignite our church with a greater desire to worship you. COVID has been hard on faith. Faith has withered away and become harder to pursue in light of being alone. For Father, you did not create us to worship alone. But many of us are stuck in this situation, divided by disease and famine, divided by political opinion, divided by oppression and lack of compassion and love. And Father, in our division, our church is struggling, our church is hurting. There are many, many who are having a hard time worshiping you. Father, I pray that to to everyone who is here, I pray, God, for greater grace. I pray for greater love and encouragement. I pray for greater conviction on the Spirit of God in the church. I pray, God, that you would replenish people's hearts, that you would encourage them and spur them on to faith. God, that they would continue to move with you, for you. Holy Spirit, would you hide me behind your cross that only you are magnified and glorified. Bring us to the next level with you, God. We believe in you. We need you. We need you to come and move in our hearts. So Holy Spirit, do as you wish. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so today... Uh... The main idea of this passage is when you are sent out, you are sent with the people of God and by the people of God and the Holy Spirit stays with you. So the title of today's sermon is when Paul and Barnabas are sent out. When Paul and Barnabas are sent out. That's the sermon title. And the main idea, what I'm really trying to get at, where you, when you are sent out, You are sent with the people of God and by the people of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit stays with you. Okay, I want to start off with the beginning of Acts 13. We see here that there is a church, there is a group of people praying. Now there were in the church, this is verse 1, at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, a lot of times people might skip over what is being talked about here. It's easy to kind of skip over what what is being discussed, and it's easy to kind of skip over what's actually going on, um, because it kind of sounds like a preface of sorts, an introduction, right, of of what, what this passage is trying to say. But what's actually important, this, these first few verses are actually really important and you wouldn't know how important it is because you wouldn't be able to read in between the lines but today we are going to read in between the lines just a little bit before we move on what's important in the first few verses of this chapter are the roles and the diversity of the people that are present the roles 
of the people that are being talked about. Instead of talking about the whole church, it's talking about two specific groups of people. All of the people that are mentioned here, specifically named in the Bible. Y'all, I don't know what you, I don't know what, I don't know about you, but that is a huge honor to be named in the Bible, right? In the canonical scripture of God. And every single person here is named. Why are they named? It's because they are actually either prophets or teachers. Everyone who is there right now either teach the word of God or are prophetical in their speech. Some are both. For example, Barnabas is both a prophet and a teacher, and he's a worship leader. Apostle Paul is also both a prophet and a teacher. But regardless of what it is, the two main things that these people do are are prophetic and related to teaching. Now, what are the distinctions? Jane, what are the distinctions between prophesying and teaching? A lot of the times when people hear about prophesying, a lot of the times people start freaking out. Um, I grew up in like, like KPC, I don't know if y'all know that denomination, but like PCA, Korean version, like reformed Presbyterian, Korean Presbyterian Christianity, right? And I actually was taught that cessationism is real, that um, the the fruit and the work and the gifts of the not the fruit the gifts of the spirit are dead um, and they no longer happen as though they did in scripture. And I also learned that prophecy is always wrong. It's always something to be tested and it's always something to doubt. So I grew up very doubtful about the work of the spirit. Now I don't stand there anymore, and I completely respect those who might stand there because I understand what it's like to believe in that. Um, I just strayed away because of my own experience and my own family's experience of God, um, and also because of other things regarding Scripture and and the movement of the church. Um, but regardless, prophecy is something that a lot of people, especially in the Korean church, doubt. I want to clarify something: prophecy is not some voodoo nonsense. It's not some like, oh my God, the Holy Spirit's come upon me and all of a sudden I need to speak into your life and say all these wrong things. Some people do do that. I'm not saying that every single person who speaks out a prophetic word is correct. I think there's a lot of factors in prophecy uh, that needs to be refined by the Spirit so that we can speak out the word of God and not our own intuition. But at its core, prophecy is speaking forth the word of God. It's speaking into a situation with with the word of God. It's not just something of foretelling the future. It's not just something illuminating the past. It can also just be in the present, pointing out something of God through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. That's what prophecy is. So by definition, it's not something that's all too crazy. Now in scripture... Prophecy was usually foretelling. The Holy Spirit often used the prophetic word of the people to bring light or shed light into a situation or shed light onto what is to come. Prophetic words are often clarifying. That's one really good way that you can distinguish and discern whether or not something is the prophetic word of God or not. It's clarifying your situation. Prophetic word of God is by the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, and for the glory of God. 
So that's 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 prophets. So prophets listen into the Holy Spirit. They listen into what the Holy Spirit is saying. And teachers teach the tradition and the sanctity of the Word of God. So teachers hold to the sanctity and the wisdom and the tradition of the Word of God. And so their main goal is to teach the scriptures. And many were both. Many people were both. Um, but also people often had distinctive roles, which is fun. And we'll see a little bit of that why. But I don't want to dwell too much here because they were prophetic and teaching leaders in the church. However, what is as equally as distinctive, if not more interesting about this list of names is where they're all from. So I'm just going to rattle them off as they're read up. Okay. First of all, Barnabas. Barnabas is a Greek speaking or Hellenistic Jew from Cyprus who lived in Jerusalem. Simon Niger, the word Niger in Greek, it means dark skin. And so this is, this person is distinctive, distinctively from Africa. Considering that they're darker skin, it's probably not as Northern. Because the distinctive of making it, especially if you consider how dark skinned people were in the Fertile Crescent in the Middle East at that time, the fact that there's a distinctive of, of dark skin means that he was probably from not northern, maybe not I don't wanna I don't wanna like narrow it to sub-Saharan Africa, but it, it's definitely maybe beyond the line of Ethiopia now. Um, that seems to be a very key distinctive as well. A lot of people past the line of Egypt and Ethiopia were often considered to be darker skin in the continent of Africa. And these kinds of distinctives come up because Spoiler alert, the early church were filled, not with white people, not with Asian people, not with Spanish people, not with Europeans, but filled with Western Asians and Africans. And we will get into that later. Um, Lucius, the third name, is from Cyrene. Cyrene's in Northern Africa. Mana'en is a noble Jew that was brought up with Herod Antipas. So he, he was actually raised alongside a Roman ruler, a noble Jew that was a Roman citizen that was brought up with Herod. And lastly, Saul, a diaspora Jew from Tarsus who learned under the great teacher of the time, Gamaliel in Jerusalem. So you, we're seeing here, there's a Greek speaking Jew that was most likely diaspora during the Hellenistic era when Alexander the Great, that empire was going crazy. And um, Saul and Manaen are Jews that are diaspora Jews from the Roman Empire. Saul is a Roman citizen from Tarsus that came over to Jerusalem to be taught. And Manaen was, he grew up with a Roman ruler, a Roman governor. And then we've got somebody from Northern Africa and we've got somebody a little bit South of Lucius as well. So a very different group of people spanning multiple countries and multiple continents all in one area in Antioch worshiping, uh, worshiping God and praying. And what does it mean to worship God? So worshiping God is teaching, breaking bread and fasting. Breaking bread is communion. 
So people like food, the act of sharing a meal, everybody always wonders why does Jane Doe always buy people food? It's because sharing food is sacred in scripture. The breaking of bread is sacred, right? And there's teaching going on, there's breaking of bread, and there's fasting. And mid-worship, all these people from all these different places gifted with two main specific things. So basically, God is already pouring out his blessing and his gift of the spirit of prophecy and teaching, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And they were mid-worship. And made worship, a word is given. Set apart. Saul and Barnabas for the word, for the work of God. The word set apart. In this particular passage, it almost means to draw a line. It's such a distinctive setting apart. It's to draw a boundary. Set Saul and Barnabas apart. For the ergon work of God. So this word is given, a very strong word by the Holy Spirit. And so all the leaders from all these different places who are gifted in the spirit and gifted in the teaching of the tradition of the word of God, all pray, all pray for this individual, these two individuals, upon this word, because everybody respects and honors the words of the spirit of God preached through that leader. And everybody prays for them and then sends them off in peace. Now, this is very interesting, and I want to get into all of this. The first thing I want to get into is the fact that God does not discriminate. God clearly is pouring out the gifts of the Spirit on all people, on all people. I feel the burden on my spirit. I talk about this week in, week out, and I'm sorry, but I feel the burden on my spirit to gently remind our church that if we are lighter skinned and we believe in the word of God, we come after those who are darker skinned. That the word of God and that the belief of Christianity historically can be seen as a Western Asian and African religion. So I just want to impress that on our hearts right now. Because the reason why God lists these people is because he wants to make sure that we know where every person is from. That is the distinctive here. To show a diverse leadership in the body of Christ and the origin of every leader. Okay? And the second thing that we need to really, really press into is the fact that the Spirit and the Word of God come hand in hand. Jesus said, in, in, this is not even in like Apostle Paul's teaching, this is the, this is Jesus. He says, God is Spirit and you must worship God in Spirit and in truth. The reason why God makes that distinctive is because the Jews only worshipped in truth. I actually believe that this is in John 4, when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, when he's talking about true worshippers. God is spirit, and you must worship in spirit and truth. And here, we see a healthy mixture 
of people who rely on the revelation of the spirit and people who are gifted with the tradition and the, the gifted with teaching the tradition and the sanctity of the word of God. Right now, our church, the Church of America, is split between racial lines and spiritual lines. There is a stark line drawn right between the Reformed Evangelical Church and the Pentecostal Church. And there is a stark line right between people of color and white people, a stark line right between different people of color as well. Our nation is divided, partially because the church of God is divided. I truly believe that the tone of our nation is not just set with the government, but it is the undertone of Christian division that has drawn lines between black people and Korean people and Hispanic people, drawn lines of division between white people and Asian people, Native American people, right between people who believe in the word of God and people who rely on the Holy Spirit, when clearly it was everyone together. And even though this, this passage is so easily looked over, this passage communicates all of that, all of that, the unity of spirit and word and the unity of every nation, every tongue, gifted with leadership, with prophecy and teaching. One does not go without the other. And then we see that in the middle of worship, I'm not saying that prophets can't just talk about, like, I, I know, I know, the prophetic word for an individual can can go really intimate. Like I've had people, I've had people call me out without knowing my name. You know what I mean? You know, um, I believe in the prophetic word of God, and that it can really minister into really intimate individual situations. Now that being said, this worship and the word of God that was preached in this worship was clearly one that was strongly about purpose and brought unity and clearly this word was given to set apart these two brothers for the furthering of what themselves the church of Antioch no the kingdom of God was furthered through the prophetic word that was spoken and then on top of that all the leaders came and prayed for both Saul and Barnabas so we see here, the Holy Spirit speaks to a person, and then the whole church goes and prays. And then sends them off. You might, if this happened, if this happens in American churches, there could be a spirit of competitiveness that can arise. Hey, how come God calls these people like that and not me? How come these people get a clear message and not me? But it's clear that Christian unity is tied to the diverse roles of the body of Christ. That even prophets and teachers were then made distinctive and made missionaries. 
And that might be a lie. Usually, especially in America, when a line is drawn, that line is for division. But this line was drawn for the sake of unity. There was a difference in roles in the body of Christ. But there was unity in the body of Christ. Why the mission of God is greater than one person. It's greater than a group of people. It's greater than one church or even five or even 15. The mission of the glory of God is one where lines that are drawn are made for the sake of unity, for the sake of the furthering of the kingdom of God. And no one gift is greater than the other. In fact, it wasn't even seen that way. They were blessed and sent off with peace in the hearts of the church and in the hearts of the missionaries. And on top of that, the church actively were agents in sending off the missionaries. So we are, here we see that Christian unity is tied to purpose. And there are lines that are drawn in the body of Christ. But those lines don't got nothing to do with what nationality you are. And those lines don't got nothing to do with what you believe God can do and what God can't do. Those lines that are drawn in the body of Christ are simply distinctive for what your role is. And it's unity. So before we move on into what Saul and Barnabas was able to do when they went to Salamis, I want y'all to think about the lines in your hearts right now. I confess I have many as well. So I am never ready to preach the word of God because God comes for my life too. So if y'all are feeling really called out right now, I am right there with you. I might as well be sitting with you shaking in my seat. But this is the word of God. What lines are drawn in your heart? Throw down your discrimination. Throw down the way you look down on people or you're afraid of people for being different. Those lines are not of God. They're of you. Make sure you are discerning what lines you have in your own spirit. And do not give way to the devil. The devil. His nickname is the splitter. But we... And, and we can think about it like a moving away party, right? This whole situation that happens, kind of like a movie, we just sent a lot of people off. We've sent pastors off. We've sent members off. Um, and it was a big moment for our church to realize, you know, that every single person was important. The people that were being sent out, even if you weren't close to them, even if you weren't close to the two pastors, even if you weren't too close to Jenny and Brianna. You come to realize like every single person is important to the church, not because of their relational tie, but because of their tie to Christ. But so often do people in the church become important to us based on our relationships. And here is another line of division. Man, we keep going there. I don't know why we keep going there. That's not written in my notes, but we keep going there. That's also a line of division. Relational division is also a line of division. 
The reason why every single person is important to the body of Christ is not because of the relational ties that they have with different members of the body of Christ, but because of their tie to Christ. If I love Amy, I'm going to love her parents. Right? If I love Kavana, I'm going to love her sister. I ain't even meet her sister yet, but I can hug her sister and I will love on her sister and I will glomp her sister even if she feels a little bit uncomfortable because I love Kavana. And my love for Kavana is an extension into that person's life. That is the relationships of the body of Christ. So stop yourself. Who are you close to in the body? And who are you not? And why? Is it you, another person, and Jesus? Or is it you, Jesus, and another person? What is your relational love extension? Do you love Jesus because of what Jesus has done for other people? Or do you love other people because of what Jesus has done for y'all? Do you love Jesus because of what Jesus has done for your parents? Or for your family? Or do you love your family because of what Jesus has done for y'all? Another line, a line that goes unnoticed, a line that me as a pastor, I don't know what to do with. North Boston, if we want to be a better church, we must learn to look at other people with the eyes of God. You might think that you need to change your behavior in order to love people with the love of God, but it's not that. It's looking to God and letting God open your eyes. You don't have to do too much. There's a lot, there's a lot of brokenness in all of our hearts regarding division, racial division, spiritual division, relational division. It's a lot. But all God asks of us is to look to Him. And as we look to God and as we present ourselves to the presence of God as a living sacrifice, he renews our minds. As we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, God works in us for his glory. And that will result in all the lines being erased. But it takes you letting God go there. Are y'all getting defensive when you hear this? Or are you willing to let God into your heart, into the uncomfortable places? Jane Doe, I understand that this church was unified and that they sent out, and you said that there was agency in the church. So does that mean that a single person's conviction is not enough? Does that mean that a whole church has to have this conviction about this person? Does that mean that the the the, this, the opinions of everyone around me need to matter as much as my own? No. Brothers and sisters, our role in speaking into another person's life is the glory of God. Which means... That when one person has a conviction of their calling, 
Our goal is to pray for this person, to encourage this person to pursue God. Sometimes pursuing God means going in the direction of that calling. And sometimes pursuing God means waiting and discerning longer. But we speak into people's lives for the glory of God. And although it is a church-wide effort to send people out, the Holy Spirit is the only authority to tell somebody what they can and cannot do for the church. The reason why I make this distinction, even though y'all might have heard it many, many times, is because oftentimes, when we see somebody that we know that is broken, when we see somebody, oh no, you're bad, oh you've done bad things before, we feel the need to speak into their calling like we're the Holy Spirit. The role of the church is to pray to confirm. And the Holy Spirit is the only authority with the agency to send people out. The Holy Spirit is the only judge of a person's character and of a person's might and a person's destiny. Beware that you do not get in the way. Because God is loving and gracious. But he's also big and strong. Not saying that he's going to punish you. That's not what I'm saying at all. But know who you're talking about. And know who you're dealing with. Be wise. So yeah, all of that happens in those three verses. But we'll move on. Um, after Saul and Barnabas gets sent out Jesus Christ man I was not ready for that alright after Saul and Barnabas get sent out right? after being sent out by the Holy Spirit they go down verse 4 to Seleucia and from there they sail to Cyprus when they arrived at Salamis they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and they had John to assist them and when they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So what happens here? They get sent out by the church, and they go to where God is calling them, Saul and Barnabas and John Mark. Not John the Apostle, but John Mark. And they go, and they land themselves in Paphos, and there's a man called Bar-Jesus. And the name Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus or Joshua. Because Jesus was Yeshua. So Bar-Jesus can either mean... Because Bar, Bar is son. Bar-Yeshua, which is Bar-Jesus or Bar-Joshua. This is very important. Son of Jesus or Joshua. That's his name. But he was a Jew that was a false prophet. And he worked for the proconsul, an important man of intelligence, as his court astrologer. There was a Jew that was a magician. He was the right ethnicity. Even his name was son of Jesus, son of Joshua. And he was a court astrologer. Full on, it ain't even Judaism. That ain't even, that ain't even Hananim at that point. You know what I mean? That's just, that's, if it's astrology, it might even be Chaldean, right? For the proconsul. 
And the proconsul wanted to know what Saul and Barnabas were preaching about. So the proconsul, the Gentile, calls them in. But the Jew tries to turn him away from the faith. And then comes the speech of God. Verse 8, but Elimas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind. And unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. So y'all, this man is speaking to the proconsul like, Nah, nah, this person ain't it. Whatever's going on there, that ain't it, that ain't it. And then Saul sees the blasphemy. And calls him, you son of the devil. Y'all, that is a curse word in America right now. If you call somebody a son of the devil, they will come for your life. Like, and if you can imagine what that meant back then, that's them, that's Apostle Paul coming for that man's life. Literally for his life. Right? And yet, he comes for their life, but he does more than that says, you will not be able to see. And immediately mist and darkness falls upon him. Why mist and darkness? I believe it is a analogy, a visualization of the spiritual state of Bar Jesus. So if you notice, even the miracle is one of clarity. Because that is actually the state that Bar-Jesus was in. And we look at Bar-Jesus as soon as, so as like Paul says, you will not be able to see, and then immediately mist and darkness falls on just him. And he starts groping around, looking for people. Immediately. Because the status of his soul has fallen upon his body. And the proconsul comes to faith. I want to, I want y'all might have, it's very easy to overlook this. And I overlooked it when I first read it. Verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching. Of the Lord. What the proconsul had ended up believing with. Now it is crazy for somebody to be like, you're gonna become blind, and then the next minute they actually become blind. That is that's crazy. That's wild, right? But there is a distinction that is made. The reason why the proconsul believes 
is not the miracle, but the word. Jesus says in Matthew 24, one crucial way to discern what is false and what is true is where the miracle stands in somebody's conversion. Even in John chapter 6, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, they seek to make him Messiah, the next Moses, the next ruler. Jesus escapes. And they say to him, where did you go? He said, you believe me, not because you heard the truth, but because your stomach was filled. And many people, even after experiencing that, fell away from what Jesus had taught. Because they sought Jesus out for the miracle, but not for the word. And the proconsul was introduced to the power of God by the miracle. But what ultimately leads somebody to faith is the faith in the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that saves. Not even a miracle can save somebody. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ can. And that is a clear distinctive that needs to be made. Because it is not the miracle, but the teaching of Jesus Christ that this proconsul, this intelligent man, believes. Yes, it must have been startling that his court astrologer, the person that's supposed to tell him where he stands and everything, went blind. But it wasn't that. It was the news of Jesus Christ, Son of God. I was listening. Now, y'all know I am huge on justice. Y'all know I am huge on justice. And for me, if... It doesn't matter the relationship, and I've had to I've had to explore a lot of this this week. There's a lot that happened on my campus and whatnot. Um, I got into a, I'll tell you another time, but I got into a huge Facebook fight with somebody. Um, I don't usually do that, but it, it just became like a a whole school wide situation um, where I had to call somebody out for vilifying Asian Americans and. Um, I understand that the relationship between the black and the Asian community is complicated, but I'm a personal individual that believes that it doesn't matter when it comes to justice. Yeah, Asian people have hurt black people deeply. And yes, black people have discriminated over and over again against Asian Americans, especially the first generation of immigrants for not being able to speak in English. But that doesn't change the fact that people need justice, that everyone deserves to be treated equally. And as an Asian American, that's a non-negotiable for me. As a pastor who reads this and sees that it was the grace of God that the gospel was extended to me and my people. It's a non-negotiable. 
But there are certain things about people that I really respect in the Black Lives Matter movement that I want to call to light with, call to light in, because I worry about the implications of that for Christians. And there's this one person, I forget her name right now, um, and it's probably best that I don't name her name, but there's a BL, there's a Black Lives Matter co-founder. Um, she's a Black Lives Matter Toronto co-founder that I really respect and admire. Um, I believe I believe this lady is, is trans. I think she's actually gender fluid. Uh, she goes by the um, pronoun they. So, so they are very um, gender fluid, but beautiful as well. Um, and I really respect, I've always respected all the words that have come out of her mouth, regardless of where I stand in Christianity, regardless of where I stand with LGBTQ, regardless of where I stand with with any anything and the image of God and what gender should and should not be. I've always really, really respected her wisdom and her words because she matters to God and because her people matter to God. And that is a basic understanding that I must and need to learn to respect. Uh, but she started coming out with a, with a, on her Instagram TV, she started coming out with a series called Sunday Sermons. And I tried to keep an open mind and I tried to read and listen through everything. And I think what she was saying at its core is very inspirational, it's very uplifting and it's very loving. But the comments were all about how, man, I received more belonging and love from your Sunday sermons than I've ever received at church. Um, basically every week, and it's probably going on right now, uh, every week, it's the, the comments have been just people voicing their hurt at the church. And for whatever reason, because of the way that she has broadcasted the series, it has ended up that her agenda and her goal with BLM has now gotten to a point where it might stand at odds with the church, which is hard, considering, considering the Christian roots of the black community as well. Um, and I wrestled with this for a while. I think it's important to be able to discern what is real and what is false. And I want to address the fact that Black Lives Matter as a movement is growing more and more anti-Christian and anti-church by the day. It is hard to discuss this because it is such a difficult conversation to have. But we stand by our black brothers and sisters who are of faith and not of faith because they are created in the image of God. And because that is what God intended. As we see 
in just three verses. Even God isn't, God was so subtle, but also not so subtle about it because he listed names and then he listed where everybody was from. Right? And God clearly has a very particular view about justice and about equality and unity in the body of Christ. Or justice or equality as a form of unity in the body of Christ. Um, and I want to make a distinction that even when we follow just causes in the world, there must be a line, another line in our obedience to God that must be drawn. It's hard because in the fight for justice, that originally in the civil rights movement, the civil rights movement started on the backs of churches, but now we have become, it has, it has become this. And um, there is a clear distinctive that must be made in your hearts as much as it is in mine. That while the respect and love is there, we do not belong to people or values, or even causes, but we belong to God. We belong to what God has said. And because God loves people, we love people. The way that we draw lines in our hearts within the church, if we are the type of people to make church about relationships and not about the love of Christ for them, it is that much easier for us to make our loyalty to causes be about our relationship to these causes and not because of God's role in these causes. And I want to make sure, make a very clear distinctive that another non-negotiable for me is the denouncing of the word of God. As is another non-negotiable for many black brothers and sisters that I love and cherish. So it is not a matter of you stand with the church or you stand with Black Lives Matter. Please know that. Okay, But you must come to discern. There is a line that must be drawn. And this man, his name was Bar Jesus. And he was a Jew. But he was not necessarily obeying the God of his fathers. Now that judgment is not a judgment that I am willing to make. Is this woman obeying or not obeying the word and the will of God? That is not a judgment that I am willing to make because I am not assuming anything about even what her religion is or what her belief system is. However, the tone of that conversation was a non-negotiable for me. And I want us to know that these non-negotiables come hand in hand with the blurring of lines in the church. Know then exactly why you follow God and know then exactly why it is important for the body of Christ to be one. And we have to recalibrate our hearts to not be focused on the value systems and the measurements and the rules of this world but for our core values and non-negotiables to be based in the true word of God. To fight 
for lives of people who might look different than us because of the fact that they matter to God. And no human has the right to step all over that. But make sure that you keep that non-negotiable. Why is this important? It's important to learn what the role of the church is and what values we ought to stand by from the early church rather than from the world around us today. It's important to understand the tone of the church in the movement and the sending out and then the actions upon being sent out from the early church and not the world around us. We can hear about Sunday sermons from other people, even activists, and hear about belonging. Politics, hobbies, sports, all of this ultimately becomes about belonging because we want to be claimed by somebody. We want to be claimed by something. But there is a distinction between what is of God and what is not God. And that is our lie. That is our line that turns in on division in the church, and that is our line outside as well. So what can we apply, and how can we apply this? One thing that is very clear, the role of the Holy Spirit and the role of church. It is under the Holy Spirit's direction that diversity and unity within the body of Christ exists. It is under the direction of the Holy Spirit that we confront evil in our world. It is in the power of the Holy Spirit that we confront whatever is happening in the body of Christ that goes against the will of God and whatever is happening outside of the body of Christ that goes against the will. When we confront anything that is rebellious to the gospel, that is by the direction of the Holy Spirit, not our own. And in that, discernment is necessary. What in our world is blinding? And because it is by the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are in relation to our brothers and sisters, that we have these rules in the body of Christ, that we serve as leaders, that we confront these evils, and we do all of these things, it is important that you not sit in your bubbles of complacency and comfort and enact a mission in your community. It is important that you engage in tough conversations with people that are tough for you to talk to. The huge application that we take away are the lines. How are you set apart? How do you set yourself apart from the world? In light of all these things that are happening in our world, in light of COVID, in light of Black Lives Matter, in light of people hurting because of disease and discrimination, in light of the church and the relationships inside the church and the role you play and the calling that you have on your life and the way you view your life and the way you view the authority that you have and the authority that has been given to you. What are your lines? And last but not least, 
We have faith in Jesus and not the miracle. A lot of us, we are rotting in our homes. But our faith is the conviction, the confidence, the assurance in things we do not see. It is counterintuitive to to rely on miracles, to rely on things that are supernatural to believe in God. Because the very fabric of our faith is confidence in our Lord before he comes on Judgment Day. We believe, not in, Je- not in the miracle, but in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you guys. For a lot of you guys, your lives might feel mundane. You might not feel like you have seen the move of God in a while. You might not feel like you have seen the move of the Spirit in a while. You might feel that you are distant from the Holy Spirit, that you are unable to engage spiritually. You might feel that you are far from God and you might miss Him, but you are too comfortable to do anything about it. To you, I want to encourage you and to, I want to encourage you and challenge you that your faith, the very fabric of your faith does not, it is strengthened in miracle, but it is not the It is not the foundation. Miracles and what we can see are not the foundation of our faith. Faith as a substance is a step into the unknown. And we practice faith by closing our eyes and believing in God. If it takes for you to stop right now and close your eyes and stop seeing your room and stop seeing what's around you to just connect with God and say, God, I believe in you. Do it right now. If that's what you need right now, that step of faith in your heart, that recalibration in your heart is needed right now, then close your eyes and say that in your heart. Faith is not based on what you can see. But you do need your family and you do need your church. So engage with your church and stop engaging on worldly relational ties. We love because he first loved us. First John 420. No matter what, no matter what somebody is going through, no matter where they come from, no matter what has gone on between us, we love he first loved us and that my friends in this day and age of covid in this day and age of political division and strife might be a greater miracle than this world has ever seen from wherever you're listening we hope you are blessed by this week's message For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com.